Big stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays, 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. I'm not going to make comments on uh, internal caucus management issues. Uh, I, I think it's uh, essential that when uh, members of our shadow cabinet make commitments to caucus, that those uh, commitments are... All right, so that's Conservative leader Andrew Scheer um, giving some rather brief answers about why he's decided to to punish Maxime Bernier. That's the last time today, I promise. Maxime Bernier, it's an odd bit of punishment because he's been removed of his shadow cabinet responsibilities. I don't know how much work was involved in being economic development critic, but he no longer will be uh, fulfilling that role. He remains in the Conservative caucus. What you hear in Andrew Shear's answer, though, it, I mean, it, it implies, though, that it's more about it's more about the, the book and the things that were said about the conservative leadership race than anything about supply management. But it comes on the heels of the Liberal Party of Canada. Here's a tweet from their senior director of communications this week. While Justin Trudeau is standing up for Canadian jobs, Andrew Shear's economic development critic is standing with Donald Trump. Now, about a week ago, June 5th, Maxime Bernier put on his website my chapter on supply management. You can download here the full chapter on supply management. He's got strong views on the subject, uh, as we saw uh, evidenced in that conservative leadership race that he came awfully close to winning. But in fairness, Andrew Scheer won. Andrew Scheer has professed his love for supply management. And uh, I guess that's the flavor of the day. Now that uh, the Americans have zeroed in on that, we have some kind of patriotic duty, it seems, to, to also express our, our fondness for this, this terrible policy. Joining us to talk about all of this, very pleased to welcome to the program National Post columnist Andrew Coyne. Andrew, welcome to the program. Thanks, Rob. So was, was Maxime disciplined for not liking supply management? Or was he disciplined for breaking promises or casting doubt on Andrew Shear's victory? I think it was uh, that and more. It's also the timing, I think, and the intersection between the, the trade talks and domestic politics and the divide between the conservatives and liberals. Supply management is sort of at the core of all those things, and so also is the rivalry between uh, Scheer and, and Bernier. Scheer, as you know, got elected as leader with the help of uh, several thousand Quebec dairy farmers, not known as previously as being big conservative supporters who signed up for the express purpose of supporting him. Uh, and they signed up to support him because he promised to keep supply management as, as conservative policy. So they were, he was their horse to beat Bernier, who was on record as being opposed to it. So it's a mixture of leadership politics and um, the fact that the liberals have been kind of needling the conservatives over this and implying, as you suggest in your opening, that maybe they were disloyal to the prime minister uh, in this time of trial for Canada. It's all these things kind of intersecting. Well, it was really weird because, you know, prior to that, we, we had Andrew Scheer attacking the Prime Minister because the Prime Minister had said on NBC that, that maybe he was open to some concessions on supply management. So, it, you know, as soon as one side looks as though it's a little flexible, the other side wraps itself in the flag and, and denounces them. It's, it's the strangest issue. Uh, supply management affects Less than fewer than 11,000 dairy farmers, I think about 2,500 poultry farmers and 1,000 egg farmers in the entire country. Um, and yet it's this absolute <laughs> sacred cow, if I can use that expression, sure. uh, that every single member of every single party at every single level of government is required to sign up for and to swear undying loyalty to. 
even though everybody who looks at it who doesn't have a vested interest in it will say it's terrible policy that drives up the price of food, that hurts the poor most of all, that makes our farmers inefficient, that cuts them off from export markets, that gets in the way of our international trade talks, since it's the first issue, not just the Americans, but every trade partner we have, it's the first issue they raise. You know, we're, we're protecting these farmers with 290%. It's just indefensible across the board, no matter which way you look at it. And yet the entire political class is utterly wedded to it, which would be silly enough, but it also, you know, plays into this thing of you can't have any dissent on virtually any issue in Canada in a caucus. Uh, we've got this idea, this cockamamie idea that any division, any time MPs uh, or members of shadow cabinet have any kind of independent thought or, or any difference of opinion with the leadership that this is just uh, beyond the pale. Uh, and so having bought into that, then the leaders feel obliged every time they see anybody dissenting uh, to stamp it out because they're afraid the other parties will make fun of them over it. Um, so, it's, it's, so it's partly this lockstep uniformity on supply management, which is just so odd, and it's partly this um, strange version of party discipline we have in Canada, quite unlike any other Westminster system. And you put those two together, and you just have this crazy thing where every member is required to say things that they know are not true. They know this is terrible policy. Andrew Scheer knows it's terrible policy. Uh, and yet, uh, for Bernier to say it's terrible policy is uh, a firing offense. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, you've made this point many times, and, and there was Andrew Scheer in question period today saying conservatives will always stand up for, you know, market access, open borders, except on this issue, which he didn't say, but... You know, that, that we have or we're supposed to have a conservative party uh, representing conservative views in, in this country, and, and, and yet we see this. I mean, how, how dismaying is it? Well, it's symptomatic, I think, of the disarray in conservative parties in Canada in terms of what they stand for. Part of that, of course, is the whole kind of uh, populist insurgency. This, this People kind of borrowed the Trump rhetoric and the Trump approach to things, and they've made some inroads in uh, conservative politics, small C and large C in Canada. Uh, but partly it's just uh, they've perennially been uncertain of themselves, lacking confidence in their own beliefs, uh, I think partly because they've lost a lot of elections over the years. So a lot of conservatives have taken on board the idea that they can't possibly get elected by just simply saying what they stand for squarely and openly and trying to persuade people of that, that they have to kind of sneak into power somewhere or another by hiding what they believe, or by kind of smuggling things through. Uh, remember, the, the Harper government used to bury things in omnibus bills and that kind of thing. So partly this is that lack of self-confidence that conservative parties have historically had in Canada. Partly, of course, again, the timing is such, and this is another issue that intersects with this, and we alluded to it briefly earlier, is the liberals have been very skill, skillfully portraying any criticism of the prime minister's conduct of the trade negotiations and his ability to handle Trump as being disloyal. And you can understand that, that the, some of the stuff that Trump and his people have been saying and doing is very squarely putting Canada in its sights, and there's a kind of a, a tendency for people to rally around, and certainly the insults that were lobbed at the prime minister's way were not just an insult to him, but an insult to the country. Uh, and it's fine for people to close ranks on that. It's fine for people to say that we're united in defending the Canadian national interest in these discussions. But there has to be an openness uh, to differences of opinion about how that should be conducted, and, and and including about which things we should keep and which things we should try to we should give away. I mean, we should want to get rid of supply management, in my view, just because it's bad policy. But the fact that it's also an irritant in the trade talks and could also be a bargaining chip that we could play um, just adds to the the incentive to to um, to not be so uh, adamant in saying we'll never give it up ever. 
Yeah, yeah. and I, I think it, it is a bit of a political victory for Trudeau to have the U.S. president acting like a bully uh, and, and attacking Canadian interests, uh, that, that he gets to be the guy who stands for Canada. So why not just take the W and take the moral high ground, you know, rather than, than further politicize that? Well, the difficulty, to be fair to the prime minister now, is, uh, I mean, this is just Trump's bad negotiating strategy, is... Trump having been so obtuse and so nasty and so bullying about the prime minister and about the country and about this particular issue of supply management, uh, that it almost makes it impossible now for, for the prime minister to give it up. It would, it, it would look and certainly could certainly be portrayed, and the conservatives would be the first party to do it, as if you were weak and conceding and buckling under pressure, et cetera. So he's, he's, it's, I, I don't imagine Trudeau was particularly keen to get up, give it up to begin with. But if Trump were serious, if he were a smarter negotiator and was trying to get rid of this, I think the last thing you want to do is, is make it such a front-of-center issue that you give your, your negotiating partner no way to back down. Now, for those who've been following the NAFTA talks, I mean, this was obviously an issue identified at the outset by the Americans, but there's not really a sense that it has been the dominating issue in these NAFTA talks. No, that's right. It's had to come up uh, uh, in public relatively late in the game. And, you know, Trump, of course, will say the first thing that comes into his head. And so suddenly this was the reason why he slapped uh, tariffs on our um, steel and aluminum, along with Mexico and the EU. Well, that's ridiculous, A. And B, contrary to everything he said before, and C, makes the um, the steel and aluminum tariffs even more illegal than they previously appeared since the only justification under U.S. law, never mind international trade law, is the national security argument that he was citing earlier. So for him to sort of throw out there, oh, the reason I did this is I was so mad at Canadian milk tariffs, just once again undercuts everything he'd ever said uh, before on the subject. Now, you wrote this week about maybe steps we could take to minimize the, the damage uh, of wherever this trade war is going. Step one, I guess, is what we're seeing today with this TPP implementation legislation. But, but what else can we do right now? Well, let's start with what the prime minister is doing. Uh, one is, of course, is being absolutely adamant on supply management. The second is these retaliatory tariffs. And the third, and he's said this many times, is he doesn't see any particular urgency or need to look at Canadian tax competitiveness and trying to sort of make our economy more uh, lean and mean, if you will. Um, and I think he's wrong on all those counts. We've discussed supply management, but I'm not sure the retaliatory tariffs are going to achieve anything except more bad feeling and more escalation. There's no evidence to date that, and to be fair, maybe it, maybe it will in time, but there's no evidence to date that it's changing anybody's minds uh, in the administration. Um, but certainly on that third item of, of getting the economy sort of bulletproof, if you will, that it can handle whatever the Americans throw at us, that even if we do get a thickening of the border or an increase in tariffs, that there'll still be reasons why people will want to invest in Canada, I think is essential. Because right now, there's no doubt at all that businesses – uh, are looking at this and saying, can I afford to take the risk of being in Canada, all other, all other things being equal, if I might be facing uh, interference in, in, in access in the U.S. market? They might be more willing to take that risk, as I say, if we had a significant tax advantage, for example, which we had until recently and then lost with the U.S. Uh, tax reform bill. So those kinds of things, I think, are, are certainly worth addressing. I think, obviously, um, we can no longer afford this ridiculousness of interprovincial trade barriers that we're still not really addressing. Um, we should certainly be looking at whatever we can do to uh, give ourselves increased access to other markets and, and in, increased incentive for people to want to locate plants here so they can access all those markets. But let's not kid ourselves that we're ever going to really significantly divert much trade from the United States to these other markets. 
uh, you know, the, the pull of geography and of the American market is always going to be overwhelming. But certainly giving ourselves as many options and as many eggs in our basket as we can is, is, is in our national interest. And I guess we shouldn't forget either, though, Andrew, as much as it seems logical to, to retaliate when, when the Americans impose tariffs on us, when we impose tariffs, and, and it's the same with the U.S., I mean, we suffer from that, too. Yeah, I and mean, the trade negotiations and, and trade wars are very strange things. In, in, in a normal war, the guns are pointed at the other guys. Uh, but tariffs, of course, the, the people they hurt the most are the consumers in the country that imposes them. Um, so it's a kind of a negotiation where we each put a gun to our own heads, and sometimes we even fire the guns, both of us, uh, in a way that, you know, to, because we think it'll make the other guy blink. Um, sometimes it does. A lot of times it doesn't. Um, so we're, we risk getting into that spiral here where, where we put on our retaliatory tariffs, and now Trump is threatening to do something completely crazy like put tariffs on imported automobiles, uh, which is, you know, it's so insane in an integrated North American uh, car market where the, where production occurs on either side of the border. And there's that famous stat about how, you know, the, the, the car is made with parts that have crossed the border seven times. Um, it makes no sense at all. It doesn't mean you won't do it. Um, so you're absolutely right that we have to, when, whatever we do vis-a-vis Trump, whether we're trying to mollify him or whether we're trying to stand up to him or anything in between, it's got to be very uh, rigorously addressed to what will work. We've got to be complete pragmatists here. And if we have to say stuff that, that, uh, that, that is a little bit uh, humiliating or you know, embarrassing, we've got to endure some things, sometimes you have to do that if, if you're focused on the national interest. But we shouldn't just be doing some stuff that just is, feels good and you know, gives, us a, gives us a rise and we can, we can congratulate ourselves on how tough we were. I should say, having said all that, there are limits. We, we, you know, national pride also matters up to up to a point. So, for example, people are saying Trudeau shouldn't have even said that stuff about uh, at the end of the G7 about uh, um, you know we're we're, we're not going to put up with this these American steel and, and aluminum tariffs. I, I don't think the prime minister should go out of his way to gratuitously antagonize the president, but I don't think he should be tiptoeing around in stocking feet either. And that those comments were perfectly acceptable within the norms of international relations. It was the president and his people who were completely unreasonable, irrational in their response to that. Uh, and, and if that's the way they're going to be, that to some extent you just have to say, well, we're, we're not going to, you know, as I say, we're not going to muffle ourselves to that extent. Indeed. Much more at nationalpost.com. Andrew, appreciate it as always. Thanks for joining us here. My pleasure, Rob. Take care. Andrew Coyne, uh, columnist with the National Post, nationalpost.com. Turn over here, 403-974-8255. You know, I was on with Charles Adler last night, and we are talking about all of this, and, and I sort of half-jokingly said, I mean, in one way this could all go away. If Trudeau were to pick up the phone and, and call Donald Trump and say, congratulations, great job in Singapore, maybe that would be enough to make this all go away. And then there was Ralph Goodale on Fox today, Fox Business, talking about trade issues, but went out of his way at the end uh, to say, can I just add... And, and he went out of his way to compliment uh, the president on, on this North Korea summit, which is probably, I think, very deliberate on their part. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.